Empire. The latest and greatest in 2022. You know, we did a lot of like really unique affiliate marketing partnerships and podcast partnerships and celebrity influencer stuff. And you, know, you can't just go out and just spend money on ads to have it return super well. That's Jordan Flegel, Managing Director of Techstars Sports Accelerator. We're going to run the gamut on all the innovation in tech that's booming in 2022. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Jordan Flegel will tell you his background, but it's worth repeating here. Athlete to entrepreneur to investor. He's the modern version of someone who has made his life in sports and transitioned as the space is modernized. Techstar Sports Accelerator is based in Indianapolis, and they leverage the variety of high-level outlets there, from the NBA and NFL to NCAA and even major motorsports. So his perspective on the future is wide-ranging. Our guest this week is Jordan Flegel. He is the managing director of Techstars Sports Accelerator. So let's get into a 2022 conversation of sports technology and what's investable these days. Hey, Jordan, how are you? Great to talk to you. Thanks. Doing well. Good to be here. Appreciate it, Brent. All right. So you are a serial entrepreneur, um, former athlete as well, and you have invested in hundreds of companies. So let's just start with in the past, what was of interest to you in the sports tech space before we get into what you see the future of the sports tech space? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's by way of context, I built two startups. Uh, one of them was Coach Up, the founder and CEO, is a marketplace for kids and coaches for uh, you know, lessons, one on one, and small group training that happens in person all around the country, um, now in the US and Canada. So we're kind of like the, the Uber or Airbnb for uh, youth sports, for helping kids get better at sports um, as a marketplace business. And I still chair the board of the company, the largest uh, sports coaching company in the U.S. now. Um, and then my second start was Draft.com. It's the daily fantasy sports app where I was co-CEO with my friend Jeremy, who was the founder of the company, and came in and helped raise a bit of money and then ultimately sold the business to Patty Power Betfair, uh, which is the largest sports betting operator in the world, online sports betting operator. Um, we then introduced and bought FanDuel and merged those businesses together. So then two startups, you know, both in the sports space uh, as a CEO, one, one, you know, youth sports and one daily fantasy sports, quite different markets. The first company in Boston, Coach Up, and the second draft in New York City. So spent most of my time on the, on the East Coast uh, and, you know, working on sports tech startups. So, you know, I think um, coming, coming out of that experience, certainly, you know, some of those categories where I've operated in are, are definitely of interest to me. And um, I've been fortunate to be able to be a, an investor uh, through an angel fund syndicate on AngelList. And, and now, of course, with Techstars, with the Sports Accelerator, the last three years going into our fourth year, which has been one of the top performing accelerators in the world over that period of time. And uh, the categories of interest, to, to answer your question, hopefully that content is a little helpful on me, but, um, you know, some of the categories where we've invested through the accelerator and been really excited about connected fitness, which has had a, a great run the last couple of years. Of course, you know, the recent headlines of Peloton's uh, market cap dropping pretty significantly mm -hmm. probably has some, some tailwinds for the industry. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But 
I'm an advisor, investor in Fight Camp, which is with the Peloton of boxing. Yeah. And through the accelerator, we did Ergata, which is the Peloton of rowing that raised a $30 million Series A, you know, a year and a half out of our accelerator. And it's totally taken off, doing really well, based here in New York. Um, Flexia just came through our accelerator this year and it's about to announce their uh, seed round fundraise, which I don't think I can disclose yet, but venture-led round. They're, they're the Peloton of Pilates Launchpad, which is building the best product for youth athletes that want to develop fast twitch explosive muscles. You know, uh, a lot of this at-home working out stuff is great for adults who want to burn calories, get in shape. But if you're a basketball, football, or soccer player, you know, run, jump, sport, and you're looking to develop explosiveness, um, an at-home solution really help you, you jump higher, cut faster, you know, uh, get off the blocks quicker. Um, that's a really unique proposition space. So a lot of at-home fitness, connected fitness space, we've, We've just done a lot of a lot of investing in, in that category. Um, actually, robotics, even even though hardware is hardware is hard, looking at particular sports and creating like a game changing solution. We invested in the best shooting machine company uh, called Grind, which makes a portable shooting machine for basketball that you can hold up and put in the trunk of your car um, and take with you to any any court, whether it's you know in your driveway or the local YMCA and open it up and plug it in and get up way more shots per hour than you otherwise could. Um, Tennybot in tennis, which raised a, a $3 million seed round that creates a autonomous robot that zooms around the court, picking up tennis balls huh. for you and then shooting them back over the net to you and tracking all of your, your, uh, your swings, you know, and, and results super compelling before Tennybot. If you want to go play tennis by yourself, it's a pretty miserable experience. You've probably seen people hitting tennis balls off a brick wall. <laughs> um, it's not the best or smartest uh, way to improve in tennis. So, you know, things like that where we can take a particular sport and really create uh, a much better experience been of interest. You know, the, just looking at the space, I mean, I could talk forever, but um, sports betting, repeal of PASPA, yeah. obviously space was really familiar with, with um, draft.com and us selling to Putty Park Betfair. And, you know, that, that has opened up a massive market, not just in sports betting, but in everything related to it. So daily fantasy sports benefits from sports betting being decriminalized, um, you know, sports media companies. And we've, we've had two through our accelerator locker and esports Tudo and sports media that are doing really well. Um, and, you know, related things like trading sports cards, NFTs, this is all really on the same umbrella. If you're someone who's a passionate sports fan and you want to get some, you know, money behind your core beliefs, whether whether it's through playing fantasy or betting directly on the game or prop bets or buying sports cards or your fair player that you think is going to go up in value or invest in the NFT of that athlete. You know, so we have own the moment and sports icon two blockchain based platforms that are among the leaders and sort of the spaces are sports NFTs broadly defined that came through the accelerator and are doing super well and, and raised nice, nice rounds coming out of, uh, coming out of the accelerator. Uh, so, you know, like name, image, likeness, just to throw one more. I mean, I guess the sort of underlying point is whenever there's le legislative change, yeah, it opens up a lot of opportunities in, in, in venture and startups. And so, you know, repeal of PASPA, name, image, likeness, you know, we're very close to that. The NCAA is one of our partners, one of our LPs in the accelerator. Um, so we've seen that coming from a, a far way out. And we've invested in companies like Kira Story and Power Forward that directly uh, address name, image, likeness. Um, so anyway, I don't want to talk forever about all the different investments yeah. doing all the different categories, but you know, with the pandemic connected fitness, you know, that was, it wasn't a legis legislative change, but people 
being at home and living a much more hybrid lifestyle, you know, at home fitness totally took off and we were early in that and have done really well there. Um, and then name likeness, sports betting and related categories to it have been some of the spaces that have, that have uh, been really growth markets for us. All right. So let me, um, let me try to touch on some of those. So let, let's start with at home fitness. Um, I hope we're rounding at least second on the pandemic. Uh, it seems like it a little bit here. Um, and um, all of these pieces of equipment are amazing and some of them are very expensive. So the at-home gym got very expensive suddenly if you wanted to be part of it. Um, how do you see the future of connected at-home fitness with hopefully um, the idea that people will go back to gyms at some point in time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's interesting that this is probably one of the, the questions that everyone has, has a pretty informed view on is we're all, we're all humans who, you know, work out at home or in a gym or not at all, but aspire to and make a new year's <laughs> resolution. To, <laughs> so we all have a view on, uh, you know, what's the best way to work out and how much we're going to do it at home versus outside versus in a gym. You know, I, I don't know if I'm any smarter than, than anyone else who's thought about it. I just feel like, consumers like options and it's not going to be all one or one or the other you know um i think that uh people are going to probably do both you know one thing i will say is when when you think about the pain and friction involved in working out you know before fight camp you'd have if you wanted to box you have to go to a boxing gym which is like a generally a pretty sweaty and unattractive place with like blood on the boxing mat you know it some people love it. Some people don't want to spend time there and you have to drive and you have to park and you have to pay and all this stuff, you know? So if you can do a boxing workout at home and get the same level of training, get a great sweat in a fraction of the time without all that friction, not to mention weather and snow and, you know, driving and like, you know, that, that's a better, generally a better experience for the vast majority of people. Same thing with Pilates versus going to Pilates studio or, you know, Peloton versus going to a, you know, a soul cycle class. Um, you know, we see that with Ergata versus going to like a city row or something, right? It's a better at experience to do it at home and generally a fraction of the fraction of the time. And we're all busy and getting even busier through the pandemic. And I think work is just filling the void of any excess time we're saving by not commuting. And, um, you know, so if you can get a quick workout in at home, that's social, that's engaging. Um, you know, you, you do a, the same workout or a better workout in half the time. That's it's just a really, really valuable experience. So I do think people will go back to gyms for the social element. I mean, we're increasingly, for those of us fortunate enough to be working like a knowledge through space where we can just be doing emails and calls and Zooms all the time, you know, uh, like when do you ever see other people? You know, if it's not in kind of context of going out for dinner or drinks, I mean, kind of the gym for a lot of people is that thing. So. I do think it'll come back, especially gyms that have other amenities like basketball courts and, you know, saunas and hot tubs and things that aren't necessarily replicable easily in your house. Um, I think we'll, 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 we'll do fine and we'll bounce back. But I'm, I'm not of the view that, um, at home fitness is going to suffer from the fact that people are able to go back to gyms. I think, I think people have really you know, now taking the view that they can have more space, they can live farther away, they can have home offices, they can have space for at-home gyms and are willing to invest in, in that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't see that kind of changing. I think most of the challenges with Peloton 
are largely self-inflicted, it seems, and the valuation got way way over its skis before. It's a bit of a correction, but um, I, I don't think that that's going to permeate throughout at-home fitness for, for you know, Series A, B type, type startups that are in market and doing well. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strength for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of this show. Let's uh, talk about gambling for a moment. Um, you were ahead of the curve with fantasy. Um, fantasy was, for lack of a better term for content, an interloper. Um, gambling's not going to be. It is cornered, clearly, by large conglomerates, and content providers are likely going to have partnerships with major um, corporations that have foundationally been part of this. So where do you see room for a startup to get involved in the gambling space, it, it's a great question and very, very logical, logical question. There's all sorts of friction in starting a sports betting company. Most importantly, you know, regula- regulation. You have to have, you know, you have to have a license. You have to have a retail partnership, um, and then it's just super expensive to acquire customers, and then it's super expensive to build product because you need engineers, and they're expensive, um, and then it's a little bit hard to differentiate on game types, right? I mean. Yeah, you don't tend to win by trying to have a, a lower rake, right? It's not just a race to the bottom on margins or, you know, it's a little, you know, you can, you want to bet on who's going to win the Super Bowl, whether it's on FanDuel or DraftKings, the product experience is pretty much the same. So, um, you know, I, th- I would be very negative on someone who says, I'm going to start the next FanDuel or DraftKings huh. or Caesars or something. <laughs> I'm going to build a sports book from the ground up. I think that's super hard. Um, it's also really having operated in the space, you know, for a bit of time, it's, it's, it's a super challenging space. I mean, it's regulated state by state. Um, it, it, it's, it's complex. Uh, you have to be really smart about how you acquire customers because the primary channels are, are very competitive and difficult. So, you know, we did a lot of like really unique affiliate marketing partnerships and podcast partnerships and celebrity influencer stuff. And, you know, you can't just go out and just just spend money on ads and have it return super well. Um, and it's, it's only gotten harder. I would say, you know, sports betting is legal now, I think in like 30 and change states, uh, 18 um, of which are online, which is important. Um, and, you know, I'm in fantasy DFS, we operate in like 40 states, you know, draft, also our competitors stand and draft things, about 40 states. Um, yes, yeah, it's just, Online sports betting, I imagine, will get to at least 40 states. And, 
and likely, you know, closer to 50 over time as, as, as a revenue opportunity is, is hard for most states to pass up. Um, it's also, by the way, very hard. Like, like in New York, there's only like four licenses, right? From the line. So you, it's not like you can't, you can't just iterate through there. So anyway, the opportunity in sports betting is, is around the edges. Um, there's opportunity to build better mechanisms, for instance, for people to have it to figure out which platform has a, you know, better odds, right? And where they should, where they should bet. Or if they're betting on multiple platforms, you know, be able to track their bets more efficiently. Um, there's opportunity to create, you know, better product for sports books because they have a hard time iterating and building product on their own. You know, my ex team at Draft is now working at Underdog. Uh, my co-CEO Jeremy from Draft is the chairman, founder and chairman of Underdog, and our, our lead engineer there is now the CEO. And Underdog's the top, you know, independent daily fantasy sports platform now, um, doing extremely well, growing quickly. Um, but they're focused on DFS. And that can still be a more efficient way to acquire customers uh, in states that will have sports betting be, be legalized for online betting, but currently do not. And so, you know, if Underdog can go and, and gobble up the market there, it's really attractive for a sports book to potentially buy them that doesn't already have a DFS offering. Um, so I think there's an opportunity there. You know, my other friend, Adam Wexler, runs Prize Picks, which is the other leading DFS, independent DFS company. So... You know, for prize picks and underdogs, they have a tremendous opportunity for the next person who wants to come up and try to build an under, underdog or prize picks. I think it's really hard. Um, but there are opportunities around the edges to innovate. Uh, and I think sports media, I really view as, you know, DFS platforms benefited by sports betting going, uh, becoming decriminalized because all of our users become much more valuable. They're much more high propensity to be better once that was legal. They were already betting. They were just doing it offline. Um, and, you know, sports media, same thing. If you have a bunch of sports fans, like the, ma- the majority of sports fans have some action going on sports through through betting or DFS. So every sports media platform that's able to reach, you know, customers more efficiently is really benefiting right now. Probably the best example of, of that going back a couple of years, Barstool acquisition by Penn Gaming. I mean, Barstool had a brand, Barstool had a user base that was high propensity to be betters. You know, Penn had market access deals. They, they had market access. They could have digital sports betting, but they had no brand and they had no really passionate user base. So that was a very logical acquisition. So th- there will be other deals like that. I'm not sure, you know, as prominent as that, but there's opportunity there in sports media for sure. Um, let me ask you about the in-person experience now that we're, you know, fans are back and hopefully things will change and mask policies will change and things will get somewhat back to normal. Are, are you working with teams, leagues, startups in the um, accelerating the uh, modernization of the in-person experience at sporting events. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, our partners at the Accelerator, the, the Indiana Pacers, you know, Pacers Sports Entertainment, which not only owns the Pacers, but also the Fever, um, and uh, Indianapolis Colts, um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar, you know, Indy 500 is the largest sports spectator event in, in the world. You know, non-COVID years, about 350,000 people come for that uh, event, which is just absolutely nuts. Um, so, you know, our partners and our accelerators are, are major sports properties. And of course, the NCAA, which governs all college sports. So we're, you know, fan engagement, um, and, uh, you know, sort of sports properties, uh, in-person experience and, and, and challenges around that. It's very top of mind for us. We invest in a company called Rebus out of Bogota, Colombia that is trying to create a much better fan experience. Um, I, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, some of the 
discussions just through COVID was just around safety, right? How to be touch, touchless and, you know, move more digital and better tracking of fans. We invested in a company called um, Project Emission out of Nashville. It's a ticketing company that just raised a, a, a strong seed round. It's doing really well. Um, that just makes tickets smarter so that I can track the ticket. Like if, if you buy a ticket from, if I'm the Pacers and, and you buy a ticket from me, Bram, you know, 40% of the time that ticket goes unused. Yeah. And if it's transferred, I don't know generally as the rights holder, as the venue, I don't know who you transferred it to. Or if you bring like a friend to the game, you buy two tickets. I have no idea who that person is. So, uh, project admissions making it, uh, you know, much easier to track the ticket through its life cycle. So I know that you bought, I know who you brought with me. I could remarket to you. You can easily resell that ticket. And I, and I know as a venue who that person is. And so both from a like, you know, COVID vaccine testing standpoint, but also just the remarketing, also just feel it. your fan engagement, your experience can't be that great if you don't know who's in your seats. And it's just, re- it's been remarkable learning for me over the last couple of years to see how little teams know about their fans that are coming to their, yep. their games. And so I think the first challenge why I'm so excited about part of mission is figure out who's, who's coming and then you can do all this hopefully interesting stuff to better engage them, to sell them ancillary experiences like Rebus does, you know, to, um, to engage them in other ways. But it's hard to do if, if, if you don't have that baseline knowledge of who they are in the first place. It's interesting you bring that up because my background is in traditional media uh, and sports media forever. And we've worked off of incomplete data forever on who our audiences are, which is just demographic numbers through ratings. And it's often uh, we're looking for 25 to 54 year old men. Um, that may or may not be necessarily true, albeit it is probably largely true. Um, and I think yeah. we're just in a very different space now of teams are finding out who their fans really are. Um, stars are finding out who their fans really are. And therefore, the marketing opportunities are just, the, I don't know, the horizon. It feels like it's been opened up to a very different space because of the information that's been provided about who actually is interested in your product. Totally, totally. And there's so many different ways you can, once you know who you're you can monetize them now outside of selling them a ticket. I mean, I'm an investment company called Dapper Labs, you know, that, that um, has NBA Top Shot. And, you know, that's a totally new product, right, for effectively a, a, a digital sports car uh, moment, right, which has done, of course, very well. It was well covered. You know, Sports Icon that did something. They did an NFT drop called the Lion Club. One of our portfolio companies is the Accelerator. Um, really engaging, you know, community of sports fans. And they have like celebrities like Baron Davis, who's one of our mentors at the Accelerator, came on and, and did a talk to Lion Club members, just people who happen to have bought, you know, a, a Lion, a Lion Club, um, NFT. And now they're, they're able to have these really unique fan experiences. Um, so I think all that's really, really cool. And I, I, you can envision a lot more products around, especially with, you know, enabled by blockchain that enable better access, better engagement for, for sports fans with their favorite teams and players. And yeah, that's a space that we're investing actively and really interested in. And it'll be interesting to see like teams getting more involved in that. I'm definitely not a metaverse person, but I understand that like, <laughs> you know, teams now can have arenas in the metaverse, can own land in the metaverse and can engage their, you know, web three oriented fans in the metaverse and all, you know, the, tend to be younger fans who they're struggling to reach oftentimes anyway and um, the future market for the team. So there's going to be lots of new interesting ways for teams to engage 
beyond, you know, the traditional putting butts in seats. Uh, in the main focus we're sports industry. people, Jordan. Like we originated reality TV. That's why we didn't watch reality TV. Yeah. And we don't need the metaverse because we've been living vicariously through athletes our entire lives, too. So, like, <laughs> what do we need right. to go to a virtual space where I can go to a Wizards game and go watch real NBA players play? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, Jordan, I could keep you for hours, but I know I, I can't now. So I'd love to do this again sometime with you if your schedule permits. Uh, it was a pleasure yeah, speaking with you. Fun. Absolutely. Appreciate appreciate you having me. I could certainly uh, talk your ear off all day. So I hope I wasn't too long-winded on some of those answers, but uh, I appreciate you having me. Jordan Flegel is the Managing Director of Techstars Sports Accelerator. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having me, bro. On the next Future Sport Podcast, we'll delve into the space for long-form content with the access-driven and successful Tom Brady-founded arm, Religion of Sports. Um, We look back to some of our projections a few years ago, and for the market and expansion, it's just gone far faster than than any of us thought, which is great. Uh, I think it creates new opportunities on one hand, which is who are other athletes, what are other stories, how do we think about similar themes outside of sports, how do we think about telling stories about teams or towns or leagues, which is huge and expansive and amazing. That's Amit Sankaran, CEO of Religion of Sports, who will discuss how access-driven storytelling will continue to find its place on original and traditional platforms. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.